What do you need from God today? He promises that he will provide it through his living water, his word, and promises. The word of God for our study today is Psalm 22. As you heard, it's a little bit longer, so it didn't fit in your worship folders. If you would like to follow along, you can find it in the Pew Bibles in, on page 440. What's the thirstiest you have ever been? I remember when my dad had a major surgery, it was around Thanksgiving time, and so as we were getting ready for Christmas and he was recovering from his surgery, he said, all I want for Christmas is a cup of water. It's because if you've ever had a surgery or know someone who did, they don't let you drink water afterwards. You just get those little ice chips and like that itty bitty yellow sponge and they put it in the water and you get like a drop or two. And he was so thirsty that all he wanted was a cup of water. It kind of reminds me of the rich man. You remember the rich man and poor Lazarus? Lazarus went to heaven. The rich man went to hell. And when he looked up into heaven and saw Lazarus by Abraham, he said, Abraham, send Lazarus to give me just a few drops of water to cool my tongue. He was so thirsty. But of course, the rich man wasn't just thirsty in his body or in his mouth. His soul was thirsty. Do you ever thirst for God? That's what we hear about in our psalm today, where the Holy Spirit promises that through his word, God quenches your thirst. As I studied this psalm, I read that this is one of the most important psalms in the entire Bible because Psalm 22 is quoted or referred to or alluded to in the New Testament more than any other psalm. It's also important because it's a messianic psalm, which means it points to the Messiah. But this psalm doesn't just point to the Messiah. Even though it's written by David, it's as if Jesus himself were speaking these words. And as you heard, Jesus is describing his suffering while he is hanging on the cross. He quotes verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says that they have, his enemies have encircled him and they have pierced his hands and his feet. He describes those who were standing at the foot of the cross mocking him. It's all a description of his suffering. And even though it's not another one of the quotes... You remember that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said, I thirst. And almost right in the middle of the psalm, I think he describes that. It's verse 14. He said, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd or a broken clay pot. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Because you lay me in the dust of death. In many of the other verses, Jesus explains why he is so thirsty for God. He starts out by talking how, about how others viewed him. He said, I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. There were certainly a lot of people, as Jesus went around preaching and teaching, that were interested in hearing him, but some of them just blew him off. Maybe they thought, oh, he, he's a good speaker, and that's kind of cool, he did some miracles, but eh. 
I don't really need him in my life. There were others who were maybe a little shocked. Like, how dare he say that he's the son of God? But then there were those who almost couldn't stand the thought that Jesus walked on the earth. They didn't just blow him off. I mean, they were so upset. How dare he say that he is the son of God? That's blasphemy. They hated Jesus so much that they schemed and plotted and planned to do whatever was necessary to get rid of him. Jesus describes that too. He, he talks about bulls and lions and a pack of villains and dogs surrounding him. He's describing how his enemies encircled him. They paid Judas the 30 silver coins. They sent the temple guard to arrest him in Gethsemane. They brought him in in the middle of the night and put him on this sham trial. They brought in false witnesses who opened their mouths against him. And then they sent him to Pontius Pilate and requested the death penalty. Jesus describes how even as he's hanging on the cross, in more physical torment than we could really ever imagine, the people just wouldn't stop. He said, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. And a thousand years after David wrote those words, people quoted them. Oh, Jesus, you think you're the son of God? Well, let's find out. Let's see if the Lord comes down and takes you off of the cross. Maybe then we'll believe in you. And they just wouldn't let up. So no wonder that Jesus cried out, I thirst. Of course, he literally thirsted in his body because of all the suffering that he was enduring. Maybe you remember how the Roman soldier took a spear and put a sponge on the end and dipped it in the wine vinegar and put it up to Jesus' lips, but he didn't want that. That was really meant to dull the pain. But Jesus willingly endured the physical thirst, the mental and the emotional thirst of those who despised him and mocked him. But worst of all, was the spiritual thirst. That's when Jesus quoted the first verse of the psalm. My God, my God, God, I know all of the others. They've blown me off. They despise me. They're the ones who put me here. But you are supposed to be my God. How have you forsaken me? And Jesus bore the weight of all the sin of all people of all time and literally went through hell like the rich man. And he was forsaken by God. And so it's no wonder that he cried out, I thirst. Do you? You've all experienced physical thirst, right? Maybe hard to think about it today, but after a, a nice hot summer day mowing the lawn or doing some work outside and, and, and all you want is a, a cup of water or, or maybe it was after you were sick and all of the other fluids came out of your body and, and all you wanted was replenish them or, or maybe it was after a surgery or maybe it was a, a little bit more general because you're having trouble making ends meet and so you're asking God to provide for your body, your daily bread, your physical needs. 
You've probably also suffered some of the mental and emotional thirst that Jesus described. You've had people that despise you or scorn you. Maybe you don't know why, but they just, for some reason, they don't like you. And you've had others, maybe kids at school or your boss or other people at work that have have made your life miserable. It's like they get up in the morning and all they do is think about how they can get to you. And maybe you've experienced some spiritual thirst too. You really want to quit falling into that same sin over and over again, but the devil, he just keeps trapping you. Or you think about that sin you committed so many years ago, and you know that Jesus paid for that sin, but the guilt, it just won't go away, and it gnaws at you from the inside out. Or you suffer tragedy. Because someone got sick, someone died, maybe it was unexpected, maybe you just didn't think it should be that person at this time, and you cry out to God. Why have you forsaken me? Where are you? Why this? Why now? God, I thirst. And I don't want to minimize the thirst that we all experience. But I do want you to realize that you never have to experience the kind of thirst that Jesus endured on the cross. Because he suffered and died in our place, you will never have to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forever forsaken me? We know that we thirst because of sin. It's our sin. It's the sin of people around us. It's the sin in the world. All of the sin causes our thirst, our need for God's love and forgiveness and our complete dependence on him for any kind of strength. But God caused his own son to suffer and die on a cross so that he could quench our thirst. And God did that first for Jesus. I'm going to encourage you to go back home. I know you heard it. I know we sung it a second time. But go back home today and read Psalm 22. And as you read, listen to how Jesus goes back and forth from describing his thirst and his need for God and then his trust in God. He starts out at the very beginning by calling God, my God, even when God had forsaken him, literally. Even when the Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, was somehow, that we cannot comprehend, was somehow separated from God, abandoned by Him, He still said, you are my God. In fact, He called Him the Holy One, enthroned as the praise of Israel. And that's because He trusted that God saved others. He said, our ancestors trusted in you and you delivered them. They trusted in you and they were not put to shame. So God, if you saved them, you can save me too. In fact, Jesus went on to explain how God caused him to trust. He said, you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you and from my mother's womb, you have been my God. God, you saved others, and now you have given me faith to trust in you, regardless of what's going on around me, regardless of what I see, regardless of how I feel, regardless of what other people think or say or do to me, you caused me to trust in you. And then in faith, Jesus cries out for God to save him. 
Deliver me from the sword. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. Save me from all of my enemies. But then something happens. After verse 21, the back and forth of a cry for help, and I trust in you, it, that stops. And instead, Jesus ends the psalm with a hymn of praise. He says, I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. And he tells us why. For you have not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. You have not hidden your face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Now, the psalm doesn't explain how God saved Jesus, but we know. We know that God raised his son from the dead. Jesus descended into hell and proclaimed his victory over Satan. And then he came out of the grave and proclaimed his victory over death. He appeared to his disciples and hundreds of others over a period of 40 days and assured them that he had won. And then he ascended into heaven and God gave him all of his glory back with only one thing left to do. It's to proclaim God's salvation which Jesus also prophesies in the psalm. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Jesus cried out, I thirst. And God quenched his thirst. And now God promises to quench your thirst too. It starts by reminding you how God has saved others. In fact, the Bible is a record of God's salvation. You can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden when God promised a Savior. He repeats the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He sends Moses to deliver the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. He sends Joshua to help conquer and take over the promised land. And then when the people... And you notice when the people actually had all of God's blessings... They weren't thirsty anymore. In fact, they kind of forgot about God. And so he had to send the prophets to call them back to repentance. And when that didn't work, God allowed his people to go into captivity. And that's where they became thirsty again. And God delivered them. It's an important reminder for us that when God allows suffering, sometimes it's a reminder to us that we need him. God allows us to become thirsty so that we will cry out to him. I thirst. God, help me. Save me. My enemies are surrounding me. I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. I can't make any sense of the chaos that's going on in the world or all around me. I need you. And then God comes. And he reminds you that his own son suffered and died on a cross to pay for all sin. And even though we have to suffer because of sin, every single week, God tells you, I have forgiven all your sins. He reminds you that he has loved you with an everlasting love. He promises that because Jesus rose from the dead, so too will all who have died with faith in him, whether that's you or the people that you love. It's just like Jesus and the woman at the Samaritan well. 
When Jesus asked her for a cup of water, he was just giving her an opportunity to talk to him. And she had to realize that she was thirsty because she wasn't living with her husband anymore. She had five husbands, and the one she was living with wasn't her husband. And she must have been looking for something that she wasn't finding. And God told her, or Jesus told her, I'm the one who can give you living water. And that's what God does for you in his word. He promises that he will lift you up as on wings of an eagle. He promises that he will walk with you and your loved ones through the valley of the shadow of death. He promises that whatever you need, strength, power, rest, comfort, grace, mercy, it's all yours through the living water. And the more you drink of the water of God's word, the more that God will quench your thirst. And then you'll be able to do the same for others. You can tell when other people are thirsty, can't you? They're stressed. They're maybe struggling with sadness or loneliness or depression. They're lost. They feel like their life has no purpose. You can help them realize that all of the times that they suffer in this world, it's because of sin. And that's why Jesus came. You can tell them that God knows and Jesus himself knows exactly how they feel that while he was hanging on the cross, he himself cried out, I thirst. But because God raised Jesus from the dead, because God gives us his promises of love and forgiveness and grace and mercy, he quenches our thirst. And if you can find a simple way to let others know how God has quenched your thirst, then you can ask them, would you like a drink? Because I know that God will quench your thirst 